Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, and turkeys everywhere looking at peacocks and saying, damn that evolution. It's Thursday at three <laughs> o'clock, and you know what that means. We're back. Hey. Live from the Michigan State University campus, it's Tea with BVP. I'm your host, Bill Van Padden, a.k.a. BVP, international superstar and diva of SLA. And speaking of peacocks... With me are two people here in the studio who really know how to bend over and shake a tail feather. My co-hosts, Angelica Kramer and Walter Hopkins. Say hi, kids. Hallo zusammen. Wow. That was quite the introduction. (laughs) Don't you know that's that's a dance move? Bend over and shake your tail. Don't you know that dance move? I guess not. You bend over and you put your little hands back here and you go. I can do the chicken dance. Bend over, let me see you shake a tail feather. There is lots of dancing going on right now. It's quite entertaining. Anyway, well, guess what? Welcome back, everybody. Summer's over, and it is season three. Yeah. Season three. Season three. <clears throat> and we have to start with a big thanks. A big thanks to everyone who has made this show last this long, and you know who they are, right? It's our listeners out Yay! there. Yeah. Woo! We sincerely hope everybody had a great summer. And uh, our, if it's you're not back over. teaching yet, <laughs> you're not, if you're not back teaching, well, you'll be teaching soon. So we wish everybody a great, great fall term. Okay. All right. <clears throat> I got a frog in my throat. Angelka, take over. So, Walter, <laughs> how was your summer? What did you do? Well, um, I ignore. Okay, I'm back. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say with the audience, I'm back. I had to take a sip of water. Okay. Uh, we have a great topic today um, uh, the goal of language instruction. Uh, but before we get to the goal of language instruction and something else that I want to talk about, I need to do a big shout out to ACTFUL. For those of you who don't know what ACTFUL is, the American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages, I need to give a big shout out to ACTFUL and especially to Lisa Campo and Meg Maloney. Um, ACTFUL published my new book while we're on the topic. And Lisa and Meg were the two who stewarded the book through all the various stages and the process of getting the book done. My heartfelt thanks to ACTFUL, my heartfelt thanks to Lisa, and my heartfelt thanks to Meg. And if this were Legally Blonde, I'd say, snaps up, right? Everybody, <laughs> snaps up, snaps up, snaps up for those three. Okay, so thank you, ACTFUL, thank you, Lisa, and thank you, Meg. And also, we got a great little um, tweet today from... Keith Tode, who's so excited <laughs> that the show is starting again, um, and it turns out it's his birthday. So, Keith, if you're listening, which I hope you are, or you're going to listen to us maybe after, um, happy birthday to you. So, we're glad that you are with us. Um, and I have a special treat. <clears throat> Walter, what's my special treat? Mm, you don't know. You're looking at me funny. I have no idea. Okay. Is, oh, uh, do we get a special treat? No. Oh, all so callers, sad. all callers today... Anybody who calls in, so this is trying. I'm trying to incentivize you to call in. All callers today will be eligible to win a copy of my new book. Wow! While we're on the topic, cool. Signed by yours truly, the diva of that SLA. That means call in, call in, call in. Yeah. So uh, Dustin, who's answering the phones today, will take down all names as you call in, and right before the show ends, about three fifty-four. Uh, we'll do a random drawing, and uh, then whoever is in the hat, whatever name gets pulled, wins a signed copy of the book, which will go out in the mail. Can I pick the name? Can I pick the name? Walter, you can pick the name. Oh, thanks. Okay, <laughs> so you got to get your calls in by 3.50, because we're not taking any more calls after 3.50. Last call will be at 3.50, and then at 3.54, we're going to do the drawing. So call and try to win a, a book. But also, don't forget, uh, during the show, there's the SLA challenge question. I will give a question to our audience listeners, our members. Uh, and the first person to call in with the correct answer wins a prize, one of our Tea with BVP swag prizes. So keep your cell phones close by. We don't want you running to their phone and trip over a chair like Walter almost did and break a leg. <laughs> so have your phone handy. And we also have the Diva Challenge question. For those of you new to the show, we ask two different kinds of questions, one about SLA and one about Divas. I'll read that question at some point, and you'll also have time to pick up the phone, punch in our number, and tell Dustin, I'm calling with the answer to the Diva question. I know it. I know it. Okay, the number to reach us at is 517-884-4321. Again, that's what, Walter? 517-884-4321. Okay, and again, Dustin is on the phone lines waiting for your call. He's like that Maytag guy in the old commercial. He gets lonely if you don't call, so make sure you call. <laughs> he looks sad over there on the yeah, other side of the no. booth. 
Angelica will, of course, be looking at Mixler to see what issues come up because people like to gossip on Mixler during the show. But, but Angelica, we want them to call, right? Tell them, again the, tell them the phone number, Angelica. 517-884-4321. Okie dokies. So. And you don't get the prize if you don't call. So don't just yeah. Mixlerize because yeah. there's no prize. Okay. So um, should I get I, – I, should I get into the topic briefly? Um, yeah. But I also have that other thing I want to do because of what Harriet Lowe sent in on the Twitter feed, on the Twitter machine. Um, our, our goal – let me talk a little bit about our, our topic today. I'm going to actually shorten what I was going to say. I have a lot more to talk about this. Um, the topic that I selected to start the season off with was the goal of language instruction. And this issue has come up because um, – uh, it's been a seminal marginal topic in my book while, um, while we're on the topic. Yeah, in chapter three, I talk about the nature of language acquisition. And one of the major findings that we have to confront as language acquisitionists as teachers is this, that most learners fall short of native-like ability. Okay, so it, it's, all, it, it's hard for native learners to become native-like. Okay, we see this time and time again. We know this is going on. So I'm not going to get into the possible whys of that because that would take too long, and I did have some ideas on that. Um, but the the issue for me is the following. Um, the The idea that that learners have difficulty becoming native-like leads me to question the quest for accuracy and the norming of students against native-speaking populations. So a lot of tests, a lot of things we do in research, um, a lot of our proficiency guidelines, a lot of the way we do communicative tests and so on, we norm those against native speakers as though that is what the goal of language learning is, and that's what learners are supposed to be or do. So my question is, why would we set our eyes on what appears to be an unachievable goal for most language learners? Okay, and it's clearly a goal that's out of the hands of teachers and students, right? So let me tell you what I say on page 43 of my book, for those of you who are going to read it. Uh, and I want you to call it and react to it. This is what I say. Um, if most learners, for whatever reason, cannot or do not become native-like, then why do so many people care about being native-like? How about this idea instead? I'm not necessarily sure this is my own idea, but how about this idea? that the second language learner's job is not to become native-like, but to become the best non-native speaker he or she wants to be. How's that for a goal? So I'd, I'd, I'd be interested in seeing what your reactions are to this. And, and when you look at it in terms of that, what does it mean for your program, if anything? Um, do you think we should maintain native-likeness native of some goal for everyone? Uh, if so, then how does that trickle down into what you do and into the lower levels, for example? Uh, and if not, what does that mean? So call in and give us your thoughts. That was, that, that's the topic for the day. And we actually have um, some uh, other things um, that came in on the Twitter feed that related to that. But um, I think, <clears throat> Luca, can I do one instead of going to that next thing? Luca, can I just give the SLA question now and get it out there so people can be thinking about it and call in? Because it's kind of related. Um, and then I'll get into the next bit I want to get into. So, okay, so related to um, this idea of native likeness and not being native and so on is the SLA challenge question. You ready for this? Listen carefully. I'll say it twice, and then you can call in with your answer. Which of the following seems to be the least susceptible to non-native likeness in second language acquisition? In other words, which of these seems to be the easiest thing for learners to become native-like in? That's really the question. Is it morphology? That is verb endings, noun endings, prefixes, and so on. Is it syntax? That is constraints on sentence structure, how sentences are formed. Or is it phonology? The sound system and how the sound system is realized in real time. Okay, so again, here's the question. Which of the following seems to be the least susceptible to non-native-likeness? Or in other words, what's the easiest for learners to become native-like in? Morphology, syntax, or phonology? All right, so there's your SLA challenge question for the day. Call in with your answer, and uh, you'll win a prize, and your name will go in the hat to win a book as well. Okay. You like that question, Angelica? I do. I like that question, too. Okay, should I talk about this other thing I want to talk about? Yes. Okay. I'm going to talk about this other thing because... Harriet, um, was it Harriet Lowe? It was Harriet Lowe who put out on the Twitter feed, uh, when was it? A couple of weeks ago or last week? No, it was just this week, right? Yeah. Tuesday. It was yeah. Tuesday, August 22nd. Something she had found in The Guardian, guardian.com, 
from someone um, that was published in, again, 2012. And the title of the, um, of the piece that she found was this. It is called Time to Stop Avoiding Grammar Rules. And the subtitle of the article or the piece was, The Evidence is Now In, The Explicit Teaching of Grammar Rules Leads to Better Learning. Now, Harriet tweeted and said, gee, I'd like to see what SLA researchers think about this, and maybe T with BVP will talk about this. Well, you know me. I'm not one to shy away from talking about things, right, Walter? I've never <laughs> known you to shy away from anything, Bill. So I have to tell you, I read this piece, because I hadn't read it before. I read this piece, and I was shocked. That's all I was. I was shocked. Um, but then I looked at what it really was, and I was a little less shocked, but I still feel I had to talk to our listeners about this. Because the first thing on the page is that this is an opinion piece. It says opinion. So it's on the opinion page of theguardian.com. And so the premise, what this author, what this person, this author of this piece wants to talk about is that somehow the evidence is in the, uh, from research that explicit grammar teaching is superior to doing anything else. And after her opening paragraph, she says, however, evidence trumps argument and the evidence is now in. Rigorously conducted meta-analyses of a wide range of studies have shown that within a generally communicative approach, explicit teaching of grammar rules leads to better learning uh, and to unconscious knowledge, and that this knowledge lasts over time. That's the thesis of what she does. And after that, she says some other things. I just want to deconstruct that for a minute. Angelic, would you let me deconstruct this for a minute? Yes, please. Okay. So she talks about meta-analyses. I don't know if you out there know what meta-analyses are. What happens is people, a researcher will go and say, how many studies are on X topic? And then they analyze them. They have to meet certain criteria, and they analyze them, and they say, okay, so what, what can we say? What they all say cumulatively. Cumul- cumulatively. Say that word again. <laughs> Cumulative. Cumulatively. Oui. Thank you. Oui. In the aggregate, what do they say? What are the conclusions <laughs> in the aggregate? See, I'm Try using that my, again. Come I'm here. using my communication Practice. strategies. Repeat after me. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so in the aggregate, what do these studies say? Um, and so there are actually three meta-analyses that I know of. One is the famous one that was done by John Norris and Loris Ortega, published in 2000. It was award-winning. And then after that, there were two that were published like in reaction to that. One was by Nina Spada and I forget, is it Yashura Tomita? I think it was Spada and Tomita. That was published in 2010, also in language learning. And then Gu et al., there were like five people in this paper, so I'm not going to say all their names. Uh, Gu et al. published a chapter in a book in 2015 that was supposed to be an extension of uh, Norris and Ortega, but uh, is actually more like an extension of, um, of Spada and Tomita. So here's, I want to go back to the original meta-analysis because it was really well done and um, won an award for, for obvious reasons. So what this author, this piece in The Guardian says is explicit teaching of grammar rules leads to better learning and to unconscious knowledge. Right? I heard you say it. Okay, so (laughs) let me read from Norris and Ortega on page 486, who say that on average, approximately 90% of study outcome measures required learners to utilize the L2 in accomplishing, ready for this, very discrete and focused linguistic tasks. Mm -hmm. For example, metalinguistic judgments, selected responses, constrained, constructed responses, while only 10% required extended communicative use of the L2, such as free constructed responses. So they, they continue to say, overall then, observed effectiveness of the instruction has been based much more extensively on the application of explicit declarative knowledge under controlled conditions without much requirement for fluent, spontaneous use of contextualized language. Now, they are very careful researchers, John and Lourdes, and they say this because it's true. You cannot take that conclusion and then say something like, explicit teaching of a grammar rules leads to better learning and to unconscious knowledge. Because in the research, there's no testing of unconscious knowledge. As John and Lourdes say, um, the, most of the research, the vast, I mean, really, 90%, uses these kinds of tests that are not about 
unconscious knowledge. They also go on and say on page 501, and, and John and Lourdes, um, the testing of learning outcomes usually favors explicit treatments by asking learners to engage in explicit memory tasks and or discrete decontextualized L2 language use. So in other words, you teach explicitly and you test explicitly and you get good results, right? Um, that does not mean you're leading to unconscious knowledge. And they also go on and say that in addition, explicit treatments are typically more intense and varied than implicit treatments. And implicit treatments may require longer post-intervention observation periods to be detected. In other words, it's not that explicit learning leads to better learning because the implicit people catch up and are just as good as explicit people. It just takes a little, a little bit longer in the few studies we have on that. And there's a downside to this because some of the studies in these meta-analyses aren't reported that actually show a detrimental effect for learning explicit rules. Jason Rothman, for example, Mike Iverson reported this. I reported this. Some others have reported this. That it just doesn't, it just, that, that when you learn these rules, they actually detract from acquisition. Patsy Lightbound published one of the first studies on it back in 1983. But those studies don't make it into um, these kinds of meta-analyses because they're not published in journals and they don't have, they're, they're a little bit different. Um, the other thing that this person says in this opinion piece is that explicit teaching of grammar rules leads to knowledge that lasts over time. What does over time mean to you, Walter? A long time. Give me a long time. Uh, for the rest long. of my life. For the rest of your life. Okay. That, that's going to be about 10 years. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Okay. So let's go back to Norris and Ortega and see what they say. On page 489, they say that instructional effectiveness does not seem to last beyond, or does seem to last beyond immediate observed effects. So in other words, in these kinds of studies, what you do is you give immediate test right after the treatment, and then you give one later on. And on the later on test, the effects still seem to be there. But then they say this, although it, the effectiveness, the, with the effects of instruction, also gradually deteriorate. In other words, after time, they get worse. They're, they, sometimes they're back to where they were before. And they say in parentheses, or control comparison groups gradually catch up. So when, I don't know where people can write these kind of opinion pieces and say based on these meta-analyses because the meta-analyses are very clear in what they say and they do not say what this is in this opinion piece. So <clears throat> I bring this up because a lot of our listeners are teachers. And if I were a teacher, I, I would be going, what the heck? Who do I believe? I'm reading this piece that's published in a newspaper. It's got to be true, right? This person has a PhD and blah, blah, blah. And, but then people like me get on and say, no, it's not quite true. Or John Norris and Lourdes Ortega published their research. You know, and they have results, but they, sh they give you the caveats. They show you, you know, yeah, we show the effectiveness of instruction, but here are some of the problems in interpreting that effectiveness. Um, and so I, I feel bad because I think it just confuses teachers and it really uh, gets me going. Gets me going, Walter. I've, I've noticed. It gets me going. <laughs> so I, I, I always try it's to- making me nervous I, over here. I try to talk to teachers because- <laughs> I feel I think, like something's going to come know, flying across the, the room. I'm usually pretty cautious about what I say. I say, oh, well, you know, there's debate on that. Or I say, the jury's out. And then I'll say, you know, my take on it is this, but you could look at it another way. And, you know, there are some facts that we have in SLA. We, talk, we can talk about some facts. But what this person is saying, this opinion piece, is not a fact. It's not at all. And I just don't know how you get this kind of opinion out of the research. And if you look at the other two meta-analyses that I mentioned, you can't get these extrapolations either. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Harriet, thank you for sending that in. I hope you like the fact that I talked about it. Um, and I'm sure I'll get calls and tweets. He's been talking about emails. it since he saw it, Harriet. Yeah. So. <laughs> yes. He's not no, I happy. Have not. I have not. Okay. So I'm done. All right. Okay. <laughs> and then um, Luke is going to go ahead and post for everybody citations of the meta-analyses that I just mentioned, and you can compare them to the original piece that um, Harriet, uh, uh, Luca will also put that up for you as well, so you can read for yourselves, but. Um, okay, so we have a caller on the phone already. We do, we already, have, you've been talking for 20 minutes. Well, because people like me to talk. <laughs> oh, Walter. You know, you know my favorite saying about Walter, Angelica? That you love him more than your luggage? I just got rid of my luggage. 
<laughs> okay, here we you're go. You're next, Walter. All right, here That's we go. That's what that means. Okay, we have Kiana on the line from East Lansing. Kiana, you're on the line. Oh, hey, hi. Hi, Kiana. How you doing? I'm good. Well, good, I'm good, doing good. Well, it says yeah. here that you are calling because you want to answer the SLA question. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to repeat the question for everybody, and then you give me the answer. Okay, ready? Okay. Here we go. Yes. Which of the following seems to be the least susceptible to non-native likeness? In other words, what's easiest for learners to get to be native-like in? Is it morphology, the pieces and parts of words, verb endings, and so on? Is it syntax, sentence structure, constraints on sentence? Or is it phonology, the sound system, and all that stuff? Which is it? Uh, syntax. I that's what I assume. Ding, Yay! ding, ding, ding. Yay! Yay! She got it. She that's wins it. a prize. All right. Yay, yes, it I is like syntax. It is syntax. So we've been seeing this over and over again that um, things that, that govern sentence structure are much easier for learners to get. And there's two kinds of syntax. There's a narrow syntax and the non-narrow syntax. But even the non-narrow syntax, learners seem to get and become native-like. It's the other things that can cause them more problems. So good for you, Kiana. That was a very good answer. Thank you. Thank you for calling in. Yeah. Okay, no make problem. sure you give all your information to Dustin, and we will be sending you a gift, and your name will go in the hat for the book contest. Okay? Awesome. All right. Sweet. Thanks, Thanks, Kiana. Bye-bye. Thanks for calling, Bye, Kiana. Kiana. All right. Well, that was good. All right. <clears throat> good way to start the that show, I think. That frog is in my throat. just bothering me. Okay. We have our Twitter feed about the uh, question that Luca posed about the goal of language instruction. So what Luca sent out was, what is the goal of language instruction for you as a language teacher? I just talked about that issue of non-nativeness, right, Walter? Mm -hmm. You were paying attention, right? I was. Okay, so this is asking teachers <laughs> what they think the goal is. Well, a lot of, a lot of good ideas here. <clears throat> I'm going to come back to Chris in a minute because I love what Chris says. Uh, Melanie says, for students to grow in communication ability and appreciate vast products, practices, and perspectives of, L uh, of the second language culture, um, Madame Don says, open souls to the world. I like that. Hmm. Um, Jeff says, to help the student become an autonomous acquirer. He's quoting Krashen on that. Um, Andrew says, to maximize comprehensible input, minimize constraints, and get the output going. Interesting response, Andrew. Viviana says, to make language accessible and dispel fallacies concerning acquisition, to facilitate communication and promote cultural awareness, right? Um, Diego says, to show students how communication can change and shape their lives. That's a good one. Um, Melissa says, to motivate students to continue on their language learning journey until they find the intrinsic motivation to do so. And then Gab just says, mine, her saying, his or her own um, uh, goal is, mine is to develop their ability, students' ability, to communicate ideas well across contexts while informed by their needs wants, and current ability. And we, got, we just had lots and lots and lots of responses on this. Um, and so let me just read a couple more. Then I go back to Chris's. Um, let's say, uh, Tiasha says, I think it is simply to instill a love of the language and culture because that is the beginning of everything. And uh, Ryan says, to develop communicative ability in the second language by means of communicating in the classroom. We actually had a lot of the, the, the Twitter responses were Something like that, uh, like what Ryan said and somebody else I said earlier, uh, Diego and some others. The goal of communication, learning how to communicate, uh, finding some success in yourself, and so on. And I think all these dovetail with what I was saying earlier that, you know, rather than try to work toward native likeness, just try to be a good non-native. So wherever you're at at this particular point in time, are you, are you a good non-native at what you're doing? Um, and then, of course, I have to read Chris's response. Are you guys ready for Chris's response? Please. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, do I need to read it for you? No, Chris says, <laughs> duh, to do worksheets. Duh, now send me a book. <laughs> Chris, we love you. I'll think about sending you a book, Chris. I'll think about that. All right, so there we go. Okay, we got a caller on the line. We have Lizette from California, my home state, the Bear Flag, uh, Bear Flag Republic. Okay, so she's going to comment on our opening. Lizette, go. Are you there? Hi. I love the way you say my name. You Hi, Lisette. You it correctly. Well, of course, Hi. because it's Lisette. It's well, Lisette you know, with a Z, not Lisette with an S. people, even foreign language teachers or teachers of Spanish, pronounce it that I wrong. Well, that's interesting. Oh, what do they, what do they say? Lisette or Lisette? L Lisette. Lisette. Oh, okay. Oh, I don't like that. Sounds so, so much like lizard, and I don't like that's an ugly name. Lizette well, is a very nice name. Well, they used to call me lizard in fifth grade. Oh gosh, terrible. 
All right. <laughs> well, number one, I really enjoyed seeing you at NCPRS this year and cherish the picture. Oh, well, thank you. I have like an 8 by 12 or whatever it is up on my mantle of you and me. Oh, sweet. That's a lie. Oh. Well, then. <laughs> next, next, next caller, Dustin. Next caller, Dustin. My, my name's in the lottery. That's okay. <laughs> I think for that, we'll add it twice. We have to add it twice. Oh. So, Lizette, what are you calling about? What's up? Well, did you define native-like? Could I define um, native-like? I'm... Well, I was having trouble with Mixler, so I don't know if I missed it or not. Did no, and that, that's actually, that's the critical question. You can only define native-like by giving someone, natives, some kind of performance measure, whatever it is mm-hmm. you give them, and then seeing if second language learners can do it like the natives. So it could be, uh, I mean, there are a gazillion ways, literally, that you can measure what natives do, and then you compare mm-hmm. non-natives to them. It could be some kind of speaking test, some kind of listening test. It could be of truth value judgments, grammaticality judgments. It could be all kinds of things. Um, but most people. What about accent? Um, accents, one of them. That's one thing that people can measure you on, yes. And there's both sides of that your ability to perceive sounds and your ability to produce sounds. Yeah, that's mm-hmm, one too. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a really high standard. It is. I think. It, it really is. After having taught in um, secondary schools for over 30 years, you know, well, 20 of those were traditional. And then after that, I got on the uh, CI bandwagon. But um, there was, an, I mean, that was like pie in the sky. I, in fact, I didn't believe in the classroom when I first started teaching that you could acquire native like speaker without going to the country mm-hmm. i didn't have an understanding that that was possible so i would tell my kids well all these grammar rules are like a um a file cabinet and so that when you go to the foreign uh, country you'd be able to file that information that you get somewhere so now I, I believe in um, CI, right, comprehensible input. Mm-hmm. But even with, um, you know, reaching native-like ability when you're in the classroom 42 minutes a day, five days a week, I, I even think that is um, a real high standard. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's not necessarily that people think that's a goal for the first year, the second year, or the third year. They just think that's ultimately the oh. goal. You know, and so let's just say that I'm going to assume that the goal of students in my Spanish first semester Spanish class down the road is native likeness. So everything I have to do in my class is to Mm -hmm. delay the groundwork for them becoming native like, as opposed to letting acquisition happening and letting them at each Mm -hmm. stage be the best non-native they can be at each stage. Um, And I agree with what Krashen said. If I think I'm paraphrasing this correctly, that our goal is to get them to the level where they can continue on their own right. to develop. Right. So we start them off and then they can continue right. so that, you know, we don't turn them all off. It's really interesting because I have a, a daughter who has a Spanish-speaking nanny, okay? And she is reluctant for me to teach her Spanish, and the reason I think, I didn't ask her, I could ask her, but she's in the other room, but I, I won't, um, is that she had such a, that's my dog. Oh, your dog is speaking <laughs> Spanish. I can hear your dog speaking Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> well, we live in San Diego, so she should. Um, is the reason is she had such a negative experience trying to learn languages in, in secondary schools. You know, yep. she wanted to learn to speak, and she wasn't able to learn to speak because of the methods that they used in their school. So I think the goal should be, I'm sorry, I can either talk to you or deal with the dog. (laughs) So um, (laughs) I think, you know, we should instill people, kids who learn language, they want to learn to speak it. So we should focus on the speaking skills. 
writing is important, but, you know, we can have a discussion about how many times people actually write in their own language, right? And mm-hmm. what, you know, to write your grocery lists and things right. like that. But emphasize on speaking and bring them to the point where they can continue to learn on their own. Well, Lizette, you have not said anything I disagree with today, so that's that's good. Oh, good. Well, can I keep talking then? Well, actually, we have have another call coming in, so I'm I'm getting the signal to say, oh, got to let Lizette go now, so... Um, good. But you did. You, I'd love to talk more about the grammar thing too. Oh yeah, really yeah. We. Uh, I'm sh- that topic's going to keep coming up, so there'll be there'll be chances for you to call in. That topic never goes away. So. Okay. Well, thank you for calling in, Lisa. You have a great time, and uh, and you're in San Diego, right? Yes, I am. Well, I might come down and see you sometime this fall. I'm going to be in oh, California. Oh, please, yeah, so, you can yeah. stay. I have a little casita, you know, that's separate. It's got a full bath and. You know. Okay, well then Dustin will be taking down your name and phone number and address and (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I mean it. You're welcome to stay. All right, Lizette. Okay. (laughs) Thanks for calling in. Have a great day. All right. Bye, Lizette. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right, we got another call coming in, but before I take that call, I'm being told I need to give the Diva Challenge question. Yes. Okay, Walter, are you ready? Oh, Walter's our—he's our gauge, right? <laughs> yeah. Like a, yeah. He's our I was gauge. Say for this that. one's so easy. Okay, here it goes. Everybody ready? For, here's the diva challenge question, like the SLA challenge question. I say it twice. What sitcom character, who might be rightly called the diva of drink, is making a return to NBC on September 28th in a reprisal of a hit series? Hint. The original series aired from 1998 until 2006. You must give me the name of the character, not the actress or the series. So here goes again. What sitcom character, who might rightly be called the diva of drink, is making a return to NBC on September 28th in a reprisal of a hit series? Again, the hint is the original series aired from 1998 until 2006. And again, you must give me the name of the character, not the actress, and not the series. Okie dokie. So there's your diva challenge question. My fellow diva coming back to TV. Okay, we have a caller on the, on the phone. Uh, we have Ryan calling from the Mitten State, Michigan. Ryan, are you there? I am here. Hey, Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. How are you? I am doing just great. I'm back in the studio with Wally and Angelica, <laughs> and I am just lactating. I'm so excited. <laughs> Okay, so what can I do for you, Ryan? What are you calling about? Sorry, I'm recovering from that last comment. Um, <laughs> Don't you watch the Golden Girls, Ryan? <laughs> Aren't we all? That's a uh, Sophia. That that's was a, years ago. That's a Sophia. Yeah. That's a Sophia uh, reaction to Dorothy. Oh. Okay. Um, but anyway, I was just calling. I'm not necessarily. I'm just going to kind of comment on just my general observation um, and a lot of experience with non-native speaking people, mm-hmm. um, and that. In a sense, native likeness should be when they speak, a native would not gauge that they were foreign. Maybe that's probably like the most simple definition I could understand. I don't know if that's something you would agree with, but yeah. Um, and so, in my in my experience in talking to a lot of these, uh, a lot of for, uh, I'm calling them foreign for being outside of the realm or area of the United States. Um, a lot of uh, non-native English speakers. Um, when I talk to them, yeah, they, they might have all of their, you know, morphology down, although a lot of times there's slips here and there. Um, sy- syntax is great, but the last thing I ever see that comes along is phonology. And I don't really like to consider so much the writing and the reading because I think those are more or less human artifices in order to document what has been said. Right. I'm not right. sure if they necessarily appeal to that mental representation. Um, why is it that phonology is the last one to catch on? Why is it? Or not, or not phonology, but pronunciation. Pronunciation. Yeah. Th- that's a good question, and it depends on who you talk to. Um, it, it could be in terms of what's called spell out, because language, when you produce language, there's a linearization process in real time. And there's a hierarchy that starts with conceptualization of, of what you're going to say, uh, and then syntactic structures formed, and then morphology is added in, and all these things happen in, you know, in milliseconds, we're talking, in milliseconds real time for natives and non-natives, right? 
And the last thing that gets mopped, mapped on, according to this model, is the phonetic component. So the phonology slash, well, the, the phonology is the, the gross sound system. The phonetic is actually how the sounds reproduce because, you know, as you know, okay. different sounds look sound different in different environments, right? And so because it's the last thing mapped on, um, it, 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 you literally, you're generating juice runs out of, your generating system runs out of juice by the time it gets to that level of production. Because remember, you're conceptualizing, oh, okay. you're already thinking about what you got to say, the next word coming out and the next thing coming out of here. Mm -hmm. I mean, and so, so that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is on the acquisition side of things, that in processing language, um, when you're getting input, that the sound system um, somehow filters, the first language sound system filters sounds out of, your, uh, out of the input. And I don't want to say it blocks it, but that's what psychologists, they call it blocking. So we could say block. Okay. So it blocks those, that sound system from being heard the way n natives do it. You're literally hearing some of that stuff through your own L1 system. And that can persist for a very long time. Whereas think about morphology and syntax. Don't get filtered that way. Does that make sense? Okay. And so that, so right. there's different ways to look at it. I'm just giving you two. And other people could say other kinds of things. So, so. Um, that that could probably be why. Um, again, so okay. So if if my wife's um, well, not if she is, um, we're we're expecting a child in November. If I want to leave tough. my child, thank you so much. If I want to leave my child kind of open to um, to being able to to produce these sounds later on in life from different languages, so I'm not they're not hindered necessarily. Because me in French, you can ask some of the French speakers that I've talked to. Um, I sound as American as could be. Um, I just don't know how to speak from the back of my tongue or throat. But um, so what, what could I do for my, you know, soon to be neonatal child to help them? You know, obviously I speak Spanish. Well, not obviously, but I, I do speak Spanish and English and Portuguese. What, what could I do to help my child not be limited in their pronunciation if they should so decide to learn a language later on? Well, I mean, the thing is, you can't, you you can't, you have to select because you can't expose them to like okay. twenty five different languages and expect them. Sure, to, you just, that's humanly impossible. So you might pick one or two, and you know, there's all kinds of things for children out there, the muzzy cartoons, the um, their songs. There's all kinds of things and and apps now for kids to play um, games through a second language and so on. They actually, literally, they're learning language through the the, the game app. So um, so those are the things that you want. Um, and then to bring things into your house, um, television and things like that, when it's, when it's appropriate for your child to be viewing those kinds of things. So um, okay. those those are those are the things you got to do. And then they, the sounds that they hear is they're, they're and it can't, it can't just be noise though. Again, the child has to be engaged okay. in okay. the language for communication, right? So that got the it. child is paying attention, trying to get meaning out of something, because that's how that child is going to map all that stuff onto the speech stream. Okay. I was just going to play French novels in the background or there something. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> play, play Victor Hugo on tape, and that'll take care of it. Beautiful. Okay, Ryan, I got more calls coming in, so I got to hang up okay. on you. Okay. Your name's right, in the hat you. for book. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Got all these people Bye. calling, and they want a book. See, that's... Yeah, I motivate it is. Them. You're so smart. Uh, Do we have any it. email questions or Mixler while we get the other phone person up? No, no. Mixler questions. I've got a question here. It's about uh, Rosetta Stone. Okay, not Rosetta Bone. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when we did those commercials oh, when we yeah. first started? Oh, Want to bring the goodness. Rosetta Bone commercial back next Let's week? Let's do it. Okay, I'll bring it back next week. Okay, wow. go ahead, Walter. Um, it's Rosetta Stone, and the question is, this person assumes that it's not really a good tool to practice language. Do you have one that you would recommend, perhaps, other than Ro Rosetta Stone? I don't know, but I saw on TV the day with Babbel, you could learn Spanish in three weeks. <laughs> Did you know that, Walter? <laughs> That's what the TV ad said. I you know, swear. I get this question TV all the time. You know, I, I mean, I'm sure we all do, uh, but it's a question from people saying, I just, I want to learn a little bit of Spanish, or I want to learn a little bit of French, or I want to learn some of this language, that language. Uh, so, like, wh what what could I use to help me learn the language? I'm like, we well, can't use anything. Take a class. Come. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but here's the issue. People, what people want. I remember an episode of the Golden Girls, Walter, um, where uh, they hit the flu. All four of them get, no, three of them get the flu because Sophia didn't get sick. So it was Blanche, Dorothy, and Rose all have the flu. And the doctor comes and, and 
So the doctor says, yeah, you got the flu. And she tells them, you know, bed rest and so on. And so Blanche says, well, doctor, can't you just give us a pill or something? And the doctor said, no, you're just going to have to write this one out. It's going to take you a week or so. That's our mentality. That's the, that's the life we live in in the 20th and 20, now the 21st century. Um, uh, can I just do this now? How can I do this fast? Language acquisition is not fast. I mean, you can't make a child learn his or her first language in a year. It just doesn't happen. And the same thing is true of a second language acquisition. So, so I would tell them, whatever you want to do, just do it because ultimately it's about time on task and interacting with the language. So that's it. It's, Go overseas. Yeah. And I don't know much about Rosetta Stone. I mean, I actually looked at it. They tried to get me to endorse their product one time, but I said no because I don't do that kind of thing. Um, but anyway, hey, we got another caller on the phone. Look at that. We've got, uh, is it Aeroline? Yes. Aeroline from the great state of PA, which stands for what? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Yes, thank you very much, Angelica. See, Angelica knows all her states. <laughs> What's the capital of Pennsylvania? Harrisburg. Er- er- Angelica? Harrisburg. Harrisburg. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Walter. <laughs> <laughs> is she right? Her line is in Harrisburg? Yes, of course. <laughs> of course it is. So, I, oh, I just see, I got the note that says you're calling for the diva question. That's okay. Excellent. Okay. So let me reread the question for everybody so they remember what was was being asked, and then you can give the response. Are you ready? Ready. Okay, here we go. What sitcom character, who must rightly be called the diva of drink, is making a return to NBC on September 28th in a reprisal of a hit series? Hint, the original series aired from 1998 until 2006. So give me the name of the character. Go, Airline. Her name is Karen. Karen Walker. Karen Walker. Ding, 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 ding. Yay! And I'll send you. A, I'll send you an extra prize if you can tell me the name of the actress now. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> okay, I'll send you a prize if you tell me the name of the series. Will and Grace. There you go, Will and Excellent. Grace. Excellent. Okay. So we'll send you double the coasters or double the notes or whatever it is that Ankela's got in her little box over there that we're going to send you. So, well, and great. And I get entered into the drawing. Right? And you're in the drawing for a book. There you go. So Yay. great. Good for you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Airline. Have a great day. You too. All right. Okay. Bye, Airline. Bye-bye. Do you know Bye. how excited I am about um, Will and Grace coming back? I think pretty excited. I, I did that. I did that diva question because. Karen Walker is like one of my idols. Huh. I when when I die and come back as another person, I'm going to come back as Karen Walker and haunt you, Walter. <laughs> I am going to haunt you, Walter, as Karen Walker. All right then. All right. He probably thinks to himself right now, he's already haunting me as Karen Walker. <laughs> <laughs> he's not even dead, and I feel haunted as my Karen Walker. So, okay. Anything else on uh, Mixler or email before we get the next call coming in? Judith was asking what you think about crosstalk. Crosstalk. I don't do I know what crosstalk is? I, I don't think know I do. what crosstalk is. Cross talk oh, is either. Somebody Googleize that for me. I'm I, showing my ignorance now. I did, but I didn't even There's so many little names out there for these, these yeah. buzzwords for techniques and things that I can't keep up with them. I'm the big picture kind of guy. I can't keep up with all the stuff that people are doing on in the actual Judith, please tell us on Mixler. All right, when what that comes back, when that comes back, we'll um, we'll 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 answer that. Do we know what the learnables are? Because Joe was asking, what do you think about the learnables? I don't know what the learnables are either. Like lunchable. I know. I, right. know right. <laughs> I saw that on aisle four at Kroger. <laughs> the learnables. It was in a little yellow package. Four ninety nine. I thought it was great. It's expensive. No, there's, there's all these things now. I mean, I know some of the big things, right? standards and things like that and but not not all these other things there's just this is the interesting about language education education more generally is this is constant production of these things and they're given these little cute little names and neat little names so people will stick in their heads and i just can't keep up with them mm. i just can't keep up with them so so you'll have to educate us out there in mixler land and twitter land and email land about what all these things are and then i'll look we'll look these up and maybe next week i can answer those or address those things. Okay, so Judith is telling us, what was it called? Crosstalk. People who speak different languages and understand each other's language converse, each speaking their native language, and that's crosstalk. So like if I speak Italian, you speak Spanish. No, for example, like if I spoke spoke Dutch and you spoke German, because there's enough there. I think that's what she means. Or Italian and Spanish. 
or Portuguese. I, for example, I've been in Portugal huh. and I can kind of communicate with people okay. in Portugal because I don't speak Portuguese and they kind of understand my Spanish. I think that's crosstalk. Is that what she means? Okay, well, anyway. Maybe. Well, all right. So we have, a, uh, we have a call coming in. We don't have a call coming in? Nope. Okay. I think a call got dropped. Oh, well. Judith, I think you just need to call in. Yeah, Judith, call in. If you're, on, <laughs> if you're online, just call in. There you go. You can win a book. Well, I've got an email question here for okay. you if you want. Please. This is from please. Paris. Tell me your email question. Not, not the city of Paris, but the person's name is Paris. From Washington State. Yay, and Washington. Paris is a... What's the di- capital of Washington, Angelica? Oh, my God. Why do you keep asking these questions? Walt, what's the capital of Washington? Spokane? Olympia. Olympia. Oh, so what do I know? I used to know these things, but I've forgotten them. Anyway, uh, Paris is a district leader and asks the following question. What can I say to my teachers who are convinced that language gets into the brain through those grammar charts? What can I tell them, Bill? Well, here's part two of what I was going to say earlier about that opinion piece. What's on page 32 is not what winds up in your head. So when this person in an opinion piece talks about grammar rules, I just want to write back and say there are no such thing as grammar rules. That's not language. And so this is why um, – who's that? What's the name of the person who wrote the email? Paris. Paris. That's right. Paris. Ooh, la, la, Paris. What was that song that came out with those, that group? What they do in Paris, anyway. Um, Paris, if <laughs> I you have no idea. Paris, if you get my book called "While We're on the Topic," um, chapter two is about the nature of language, and the principle in that is that language is too abstract and complex to teach like other subject matter. We have to have a different kind of pedagogy for language, um, and that's because people think somehow that that, that the rules they're getting are actual rules. They're not. Ninety percent of the time. It's wrong information, but 100% of the time, it's just not how language works in your head. Language is much more abstract than something like subjects and verbs must agree. That sounds like a rule, right? But that's not what's in anybody's heads um, in terms of subjects and verbs. That's an outside perspective. I think we talked about this before in the show. I've got lots of metaphors in my book for, for, to get people to understand. Um, for example, like I could make a rule saying, because um, this is true, right, Angelica? During the day, the sky is blue. If it's not cloudy, during the day, the sky is blue. At night, it's not blue. It's dark. It right? looks blue, yes. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a rule. That's going to happen every day. But that's an outside description of what's really going on. The sky is not really blue. It's photons and, and sun rays hitting the atmosphere, and the particles in the atmosphere are scattering the, um, the spectrum of light and only certain parts of the spectrum of light hit your eyes. And it's the blue part of the spectrum that hits your eyes from those scattered particles. And that's why the sky looks blue. Try to explain that to a three-year-old. <laughs> okay, and so language is like that. It's much, it's much more going on behind the scenes than you know, subjects and verbs agree. Um, and so anyway, um, that's Paris. We always have to start with getting people to understand that what's in books is not language. And it's not, again, just to be clear, it's not because people don't talk that way. Right, Angelica? You probably looked at German books and said, we don't say that. Mm. I'm not saying that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about actual grammar rules in a book are just not psychologically real. They're not. Somebody's going to call in and yell at me, but that's okay. (laughs) But, you know, most theories, even non-linguistic theories would say that, that those rules aren't what's in people's heads. So I think I'm on pretty safe territory with that. Okay. Um, anything else coming up on email or mix, mixler, mixler? I hate that word. Mixler. mixler. Somebody better call in. I've got another question here. Oh, here we go again. Oh, here we go again. All right. This is from Daniel. We've got Mary Poppins back with us. Mm. Here we go. <laughs> he says, I'm hoping that you might discuss textual enhancement. Does textual enhancement, that is underlining, bolding, a target structure such as a verb form, help students notice or acquire language? Does it do any harm? Um, it does no harm. It's one of the least intrusive things you can do. Daniel, right? Daniel. Mm-hmm. Daniel's one of the least intrusive things you can do. Um, but Winnie Wong, uh, my former student who's done research on this, and it's also in her 2005 book, um, summarizes the research and says it's kind of 50-50. Sometimes it looks like there's there it does something, and sometimes it looks like it doesn't. But again... What I said earlier is that falls in that line of research 
about explicit and implicit learning. The kinds of assessments that test people give in that research tends to favor discrete, focused things so you can use explicit knowledge. So, so um, we don't know what it's doing, if anything, for acquisition. My conclusion is it doesn't. Uh, but now you specifically asked Daniel about noticing. I'm not a big believer in noticing because I don't think noticing as a concept can work in real time. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that, which I'm not going to go into now because it's already 350. But we could have a whole show on noticing. Let me know if you want a show on noticing. I'll talk about noticing and why doesn't, I don't think noticing is uh, necessarily useful for language acquisition or language teaching. So I'll stop there. How's that, Angelica? I think Angelica, you look a little tired today. I am so tired. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) They're laughing. For those of you who are newbies, they're laughing because that's my expression. I'm so tired. Oh, my goodness. Check out Twitter and what Meredith just put on there. That's uh, um, disturbing, actually. Oh, am I? Should I? Your your face got photoshopped. Uh oh, I don't I don't want to look then. I don't like that. <laughs> I don't want to look. Don't, Luca. Don't you dare put it up. I'm not going to look. Look. Uh, I'm not going to look, Luca. No, 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 no. no, no, no. <laughs> oh, Karen Walker. Okay. All right, Meredith. Okay, Meredith. I love you. I like that. Meredith White can do that. There we go. See, Walter. That's going to be you and me in. Yeah. Right. Three years. <laughs> All right. Well, if nobody else calls in, maybe we'll do the book drawing early. I don't know. You guys have anything else on Mixler or email? Well, people want to show on noticing for what it's worth. Okay. Maybe I'll make that next week's show, noticing. Oh, look. Luca just walked in the studio. With a box. Hello, tall, dark, and bearded. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Look at this little fancy box. I'm doing the drawing. You people missed your call. That we could have taken one last call. I'm doing a nice. Oh, Walter wants to draw. Three fifty-two. Oh yeah, Walter I'm supposed to do the drawing. Walter, you draw. You draw. I'll talk about. Uh, oh wait, there's someone on the phone. Should we wait? Oh yeah, let's wait. Wait five seconds. Wait five seconds. We want to throw another name in here. Okay. Because we got we've got time. We got time. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. yeah. So everybody wants to show on noticing. Yeah. Noticing. Noticing. Mm-hmm. Noticing. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. There you go. That's that. Well, thank you. We'll, we'll do a show noticing. I'll, d- I'll talk about what it is, uh, and then I'll tell you why I think it's probably not a particularly good construct. Um, okay. So where was I? I'm looking at my notes here. Oh, my gosh. We're waiting for a call. No, there's, there's a call coming in. Um, I was looking at some of, the more, some of the other Twitter feeds on the question that Luca put out. And uh, I, you know, oh, this is interesting. This is kind of a, this is an interesting response to the question about the goal of language instruction. And Senora L, or L, Senora L says, to know there is a person behind any language they hear. That's kind of mm-hmm. interesting. I like that. You know, maybe the languages aren't just these abstract things. Okay, so, all right, our uh, call got dropped. So, that's all right. Okie dokies. So we're not going to do our drawing, Walter. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Stir here your, we go. Stir them good. Stir them good. Don't look. Look over there, Walter. I see you peeking. Gee, Mary and Joseph. Look at that. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a lot of dust. there's a lot of dust in this box he's drawing from. <laughs> okay. All right. I've got one. You got one? Shall I read it or do you want to read it? I don't oh, you care. You read it. You read it, Walter. You do it. <gasps> Who is it? Did this person call? <laughs> I guess the winner is Jason in California. He oh, did call, but his call got yeah. dropped. Remember, he called, he just, and I know what he was gonna he was gonna answer the second part of the diva question. What was he gonna do? But he oh. got dropped. So, um, all right. So, Jason, Jason, congratulations, Jason. Congratulations, Jason in California. Congratulations, California Jason. People calling today, mm-hmm. my home state. Representing. Oh my gosh. Okay, so. Anybody got a deck of cards? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got some down. We got some downtime here, so we gotta we gotta we gotta fill our next couple of minutes before we start signing off. Um, uh, I've got. Uh, oh, here. here's another interesting thing too about this these studies that this woman was citing to say that they show that you know um, explicit teaching works and so on. Here's what John. 
and lured to the sale on page 490, 490 of their article. In the current synthesis, only 18% of 78 unique sample studies operationalize true control conditions. So you can only show an effect of something, Walter, if you have a control, right? Right? I guess so. Yeah, just say yes. Yes. That's how science works, right? If only 18% had a true control condition, that means that that 82% of the studies can't show anything because they have no control group to compare it to. That's, that's a problem. That's a real problem. So this evidence is not as conclusive as people want you to believe. So everybody. Now, I just, and I'll say this. That doesn't mean down the road we won't have better research. That does show something, like explicit teaching and explicit learning. Um, but right now, at this point in time, 2017, write it down, Walter. We can't say what that person said in the opinion piece. We can't say that. I'm writing it down. Write it down. Write, write it down. Mark it down. Mark it 2017. Down. Take it to the bank. Take it to the bank. All right. Okay. So our topic next week is going to be noticing, right? Yeah. Okay. Ooh, right. People will like that. Yeah. Um, I see Dustin on the phone. I think people are still trying to call in or something. That's kind of odd. I don't know what's going on. Okay. So there's no, there's got to be another email, Walter. Come on. I oh, got, well, I got two minutes. You no, know, I know, but there there are some emails that have come in, but not things that I would feel that you would necessarily be able to answer in two minutes. So, oh, okay. But there was um, there was on Twitter an additional response to the the question from Grant. Mm-hmm. He just posted it twenty seven minutes ago, and Grant says to build a nation of citizens skilled at listening to, trusting, and understanding people who seem different from themselves. That sounds like Grant. I know which Grant that is. And that sounds like something Grant would say, right? Yep. And it that's does. A good one. Sounds I like, like it. Grant. That sounds like Ulysses S. Grant. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's, our, that's our little baker boy, right? Our baker boy? Yep, it is. Boulanger? Oh, yes. <laughs> I didn't catch it. Sorry. The fabulous yes, baker boy. He's got the fabulous baker boy. All right. Well, we're going we're gonna to end our show in the next three minutes. <laughs> so I'm going to start talking <laughs> real slow because I was hoping we'd get one more phone call in, but something's going on with the phone lines. I don't know what's... They're just dropping like flies over there. I don't know. I tell you, this is what happens when you do things on the cheap, you know? You know what I'm saying? We got no budget. We got no money coming in. So we've got these phone lines that who knows what. That's all right. Mm-hmm. If we could connect to a cell phone in the system, we'd probably have better, better luck with our phone calls. But anyway, well, we hope that everybody's enjoyed our show today. We're back, and we're excited about being back. And uh, we're going to have lots of interesting topics this year, believe you me. Um, and we're not going to talk about politics, right, Angelica? No, we are not. Although, I will say the following. Okay. Did you read the New York Times today, anybody? No. Mm-mm. New York Times, they had a featured opinion piece, but it was actually well-written. It had uh, not statistical information, but anecdotal information about Spanish is alive and well in the United States and actually growing in spite of all the things that are going on against Excellent. Spanish well, speakers. That's an interesting thing. All right. So I'm going to start wrapping up, Wally. All right, sounds Ready? like a plan. I'm going to do my acknowledgements. Can I do it? Mm-hmm. Acknowledge okay, us. Okay, so we always have our acknowledgements. Okay. <laughs> First of all, we always like to thank our technical producer, Daniel Trago. Yay, Daniel. Our media producer and guy who does all of our online stuff, Luca Giappone. The talented and trusted call handler. I got to give him another name. Call handler just sounds, I don't know what that, sounds like he wrestles cattle or something. Our talented <laughs> and trusted call handler, Dustin DeFelice. The College of Arts and Letters at Michigan State University, especially our dean, Christopher Long. I saw him yesterday. He looks good. Nice. Christopher looks good. So thank you, Christopher, for supporting us in our endeavors there. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors, or any other official entity of Michigan State University. And, of course, we thank all of you listeners out there as well. So we'll be back next week. At the same time, the same day, some exciting things are going to be happening this semester. Exciting, exciting things. And you know what the topic is, Walter? I didn't notice that you said anything about that. Uh-huh. 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 Sorry. You're so noticing? Fun. Noticing. We're going to talk about the noticing hypothesis. Um, and so until then, until next Thursday, what do I always say? Have a great weekend. Have a great time tomorrow, Friday, happy hour. And happy second language acquisition to everybody. 
Don't forget to say goodbye, kids. Bis nächste Woche. Auf Wiedersehen. Bye, everybody. Was that crosstalk? Did no, you I don't know. I'm still confused. She, 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 I read it. I think it's crosstalk. I have no idea.